When Martin Luther said, if I had a friend who prayed for me, I would be of great courage and afraid of nothing. But if I had a man who prayed against me, I would rather have the Grand Turk as my enemy. He was talking about the power of intercession. Intercession is the secret weapon God has given the church. Ron Dunn calls it the church's intercontinental ballistic missile. You can fire it to any target on earth. It travels at the speed of sound, at the speed of thought, and it always hits its target. And there is no defense against it. The, the, the unsaved man has a defense against your witness. He can slam the door in your face when you knock there. He can throw away the track you handle, hand him. He can turn off Billy Graham if he happens to catch him on the television. And he can even come to church and tune the preacher out by counting the pipes in the pipe organ. Now, don't give you, I hope that doesn't give you any ideas. But he cannot keep Jesus from knocking at the door of his heart in response to your intercession. Intercession is at the heart of the Bible. The word means to stand in another's place. And so if you read the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, you'll read that great prophecy of the intercessor who's coming. The Apostle Paul said he became sin for us who knew no sin. That's the ultimate intercession. And he ar arrived in the Jordan and asked of John to be baptized. And John protested. He said, I'm not even worthy to latch your sandals. You need to be baptizing me. But Jesus insisted. And so he was baptized perfectly, identifying with his people in intercession. That might give you a hint as to what Jesus is doing now. The Bible says that He is able to save to the uttermost them that come to God through Him, seeing that He ever liveth to make intercession for them. You know what Jesus is doing right now? He's praying for this service. He's praying for you. And John put it like this, If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, that is, a heavenly lawyer, even Jesus Christ the righteous. He's standing before God right now praying for you. And his intercession as a heavenly lawyer is a little bit unique. Instead of pleading your innocence, he's pleading your guilt. And so he stands before God and says, Gerald Tidwell is guilty as charged. He's broken the commandment. But on the basis of these wounds in my hand and in my side and in my feet, I pray you'll forgive. And so my sanctification and my salvation is secured by His intercession. The greatest thing ministry this church can ever perform is the ministry of intercession. And the greatest sin this church will commit is the sin of failing to intercede. And the Old Testament character said, God forbid that I sin against you by not praying for you. All of the great prayers of the Bible are intercessory. Moses praying for his people, Abraham agonizing for Israel, and Paul in Romans 10 saying, I would be willing to be separated from God if Israel could be saved. Check me on this. I believe every 
prison prayer Paul ever prayed was intercessory in nature. But there is no one who is greater in intercessory prayer than our Lord Himself. And so they saw Him one day in prayer. And they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And He gave some great characteristics of intercessory prayer that are in our text. First of all, intercessory prayer according to Jesus is bold in its reach. I want you to just to glance down and look at verses 5 through 7 sometime, not now, but check those verses out. The great boldness of prayer that is in this text. And understand that in that ancient, in that ancient world, in most of the little peasant houses, there was just one room, and these rooms were divided into third and two-third. The two-third area of the room was on one level and another third was on a level raised like this uh, pulpit area here. And up on this raised area, they had their, their cooking and heating utensil, usually just a little open fireplace to, to, to cook on and to heat. And at night, they would spread in the coldness of the winter, they would spread pallets around that fire and just lie there with the children, everybody in the same bed. He said, my children and I are in bed. Really not a bed, just lying on a pallet on the raised area of the room. Have you ever tried to get a child to, to sleep by lying down with him? I mean, here's this two-year-old kid. You've got to get him down for his nap, and he's restless. And so you finally agree, I'll lie down with you, and I'll take a nap with you. You know you're not going to. But I mean, you know, little stories like that, you know, uh, it's probably all right. And so you take him off in another room and you, you get this little two-year-old to lie down with you and you close your eyes, you know, I've done this a jillion times. And I'd peek, you know, to see if he, and, and just as I kind of open my eyes just a little bit, he's just kind of grinning at me, you know, he's never really closed his eyes. And you lie there thinking about all the things you need to be doing. And finally you just, you know, rejoice because his eyes are getting a little heavy and the eyelids are closing. And you think just probably a few more minutes and he'll be asleep. And after a while you see the eyes close and so you kind of ease up off the bed, you know, to get out of the room. You know what you're thinking right now? If somebody comes in here to right now and wakes this kid up, I'll kill him, you know. And so he has his babies in bed with him and he's finally got them to sleep and it's midnight and the door is closed and that means nobody's welcome. And this turkey's on the outside banging on the door while trying to get somebody up. And he's saying to himself, if I get up now, I'll wake the whole family. That's not all. Those ancient, in that ancient world in those little peasant homes, they took the animals inside with them in the cold. And so maybe a goat or two and some chickens, and they're all kind of nestled down in the back part of the room. And here's this guy banging on the door trying to get somebody up. And he knows if he doesn't go away from here, the whole house is going to be in an uproar. My kids and my and my barnyard is going to be awake here in a little bit. I tell you, that's bold, audacious request. And you and I are never going to know anything about the power of intercession until we stop 
half apologizing to God when we pray. Until we stop coming to God like a beggar with his hat in his hand at the back door of a stranger. The veil has been rent and the blood has been shed and God said we could come boldly. In fact, that word ask there is a word in the Greek that literally translates demand your due so you can go before God in boldness and should to demand your due. You can knock on his door at midnight in bold praying. It is bold in its size. He said, lend me three loaves. Now that's a big prayer. That's a big request. For a woman would just cook one loaf a day. There, were, there was no way to preserve food in that time. And, and really they just cook enough for one day, uh, for, for the family, one day, one loaf. You know what he was asking this man to do? He was asking her, him to wake his wife up and, and stoke the fire and, and knead the dough and cook three loaves, enough for his friend, enough for himself, and I don't know what he's going to do with that other one, one to grow on, I suppose. That's bold praying. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Most of the time, we shoot too low in our request to God. We ask for too little. Most of the time, we're so afraid, I'm going to insult God by my, by my request that we shoot far too low. I'm here to tell you God is slandered by our little praying. I stood in the hospital room not many months ago of a woman who had just come back from surgery and the report was not good. And we stood around the bed, the family was there, the children, the husband grieving and the, and, and the, and the sorrow and the trauma you could cut with a knife. And as we got around the bed to pray, this was their request. Pastor, pray that she'll be healed. And, and I didn't know, you know, um, so, so I kind of stumbled through, you know, if it's thy will kind of thing. And I got back to my study and I just closed the door and I just thought I'd ask God about kind of, you know, that kind of a thing. Is it wrong to pray such a bold prayer as that? And God kind of communicated to my spirit this word. I want you to stretch me to the limit. I want you to test me. I want you to pray with a boldness that you've never had before. I want you to ask that which is humanly impossible of me. Thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with you bring, for his grace and power are such none could ever ask too much. It's bold in its stubbornness, and he just kept on knocking and wouldn't go away. I want you to know that, that what we have in this little story is not a comparison between God and this sleepy-headed friend. It's not a comparison between God and the sleepy-headed friend. Jesus is not saying, if you just keep on you know, persisting, finally God will wake up and do something if you just keep at it. It's not comparison. It's a contrast. And there's a vast difference. 
What Jesus is saying is this, if a man will finally get up and give to his friend his request as the result of his persistence, how much more will God give who's standing ready on his tiptoes with gracious outstretched hands wanting to give? And if a man will give at the, at the, uh, at the insistence of one who will not go away, how much more will God give who wants to give? Have you ever wondered why God doesn't answer the way you pray right then? Why it's necessary for importunity as the King James has it or persistence as the New American Standard? Why is that necessary? I think for several reasons. Sometimes because God has to prepare us for the answer. We're not ready for it. I have to keep on praying so that God can keep on getting me ready when he gets ready to give me the answer. I'm not ready for the answer yet. I think sometimes he delays his answer because he wants to give us something better. I'm so grateful that God hasn't always answered my prayer just like I ask it, but it's always something better for me. I think sometimes he delays his answer to test our, our desire. Someone said that God is, not, is determined not to give what we're not determined that he shall. And I think sometimes God delays his answer or the answer is delayed because the devil comes to resist the answer. Read the 10th chapter of Daniel sometime. Daniel's prayer went up to God. For 21 days he prayed. And when the messenger finally came, he said, I heard your request the first day you prayed, but the evil one has resisted me. And the Tidwell paraphrase is this, I just now got through. I wonder how many times we pray, we stop praying just one day too soon. It's bold in its stubbornness. It's bold in its sacrifice. Now, every time I've read this little story, I've kind of felt sorry for the guy who was, got, who was in bed because, you know, um, I don't like to be disturbed at midnight either. And I've kind of felt sorry for this fellow who had to get up and take care of his, uh, his persistent, uh, re, uh, the, the persistent petitioner. But I want to remind you that this man knocking at the door had to get up also. His friend had come to him making a request. And I'm reminded this morning that there are many times when inter intercessors are up at midnight knocking on the door of heaven. You just can't get around, around sacrifice as it relates to intercession. You just can't get a, around the fact that a person who is going to be an intercessor is going to pay a price for it. Jesus is an example of that. It was when Zion travailed that she gave birth to her child. Every woman, every mother here today knows what it means to travail in childbirth. That means that you feel like you're going to die if that child doesn't hurry up and be delivered. There are not going to be too many people who are born into the kingdom of God without some travailing prayer as well as prevailing prayer. It's going to cost you. Someone told about a revival meeting in a little church here in Oklahoma. 
and a young woman in the church began to request prayer for her father. He was unsaved. She wanted him to be saved. And she requested prayer for him, and they began to pray for him. During the revival meeting, one day she's washing dishes at the kitchen sink, and it just kind of came to her. Are you willing to die in order for your daddy to be saved? Now that kind of took her back, I imagine. And she thought about it a minute. Am I really willing to die in order for daddy to be saved? And she wrestled with that for a few days. And finally, in the burden of the, of the concern and compassion for her father who was lost, she went to her knees and this was her request to God. I'm willing to die if daddy can be saved. It wasn't too many days in that revival meeting, of course, until he was saved. Can you pray a prayer like this from Romans 10? I'd be willing to be accursed, said the Apostle Paul. That word means to be separated from God forever. It means to burn in hell. The, the Apostle said, I'd be willing to die in hell if Israel could be saved. That's pretty bold praying in sacrifice. Intercessory prayer is bold in its reach. Intercessory prayer is specific in its request. He said, give me three loaves. That's pretty, pretty specific. Most of us just pray kind of in generalities, you know. Lord, bless all for whom it is our duty to pray. Specific in request. You know why we're so general, why we generalize in our praying? You know why we do that? Because it takes more faith to be specific. I can pray to God, Lord, save the lost of Durant, and that doesn't require a whole lot of believing. But if I go to God as I do every day with my list of lost people, and I say to God, Lord, would you bring conviction and salvation to this one and name his name. I claim your salvation for this one that requires some faith. You can pray specifically for the lost. The Apostle Paul said, my prayer to God and heart's desire is that Israel might be saved. I wonder how many of you this morning have a list of people for whom you, you have prayed and agonized for their salvation. I mean, if I were to ask you this morning, name five people for whom you have agonized in prayer for their salvation in the last week. Could you name five people off just like that? Now, I want to tell you that it may be that you'll pray for people who are lost that will never be saved. I imagine that's true. But I am also here to declare to you that not very many people will be saved unless you do pray for them. Somehow in God's providence and sovereignty, He has chosen to respond to our prayer in bringing conviction to the lost. You can pray for healing. I mean, it's still there. You don't have to, you don't have to go to a a church somewhere else, you know, we have little labels on to, 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 to hear a message on healing. I believe it's there. 
The Bible says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another. For the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, I don't know how God is going to, that's his business, how he's going to choose to heal. He may do it through doctors and modern medicine. I'm not saying that that's no, of no value anymore. I may be dumb, but I'm not stupid. But I am saying that God is behind every healing. He is the, he is the healer. And the healing that comes is the result of our prayer. You can pray for healing. You can pray for growth. Somewhere I was reading recently of a missionary who had a tremendous success as he began to minister out in the bush country and hundreds of people came to know the Lord and he could just see so many of them and so he chose a section of that country uh, where he was ministering to go back and, and, and to cultivate those people and to lead them in Christian growth. And the other section, he just decided he'd pray for those every day. He, didn't, he wasn't able to, to go to them personally and teach them from the Word and disciple them. And a year later, to his amazement, the people for whom he had prayed continuously were further advanced in Christian growth than the ones he taught himself. And you can pray for preachers. The Apostle Paul said, and now finally, brethren, pray for us. And you can pray for that problem that's in your life. And, and Jack Taylor calls that triagonal praying. He says you put, a, you put a God up here at the point of the triangle and you there and the problem there. And he said, you look at the problem and you'll be frustrated. You look at yourself and you'll become filled with anxiety you look toward God and you'll rejoice so he said I just glance at the problem and I gaze upon God and I pray that way you can pray specifically for intercession is, is specific in its request finally inter intercessory prayer is desperate in its realization you can't read this little story and not see that there was desperation there. That's what is at the heart of real praying. And that's why we've chosen to do a series on brokenness. Person, per, a person coming to the end of himself and abandoning himself to God is the person who moves God. I have no resources in myself. I have no abilities in myself. I have only one hope, and he is God. It's desperate. It's realization. There's no question. I shared this with a man on Friday's luncheon. There's no question that Jacob loved Rachel better than he loved Leah. But the delight of the woman quote unquote was in Leah because she had children think of all the years 14 that Jacob labored for Rachel but that devotion didn't mean anything to her because she was barren and he lavished upon her as was the custom of his day he lavished jewelry upon her and precious gifts but they did not comfort her because she was barren and Rachel was lovely to look at, 
but there was no compensation in her loveliness or the admiration of others because she was barren. The truth of the matter was she was desolate and desperate because Leah had four little sons playing around her skirt and she had none. The Bible said one day she came to Jacob. Can you see her? With wet eyes from crying and red, disheveled hair, her voice is hoarse from groaning, and she comes in the desperation of her sonlessness, and she lays hold on Jacob and cries, Give me children or I die. And somehow I could see this morning some great intercessor with his hands on the horns of the altar of God and I see him with eyes wet with tears and voice hoarse from groaning calling to God give us children in the sanctuary or I die I've prayed with some of those kind of intercessors of late and it doesn't matter if we have carpeted aisles and cushioned pews and magnificent auditorium and new buildings. There is no glory in that if the crib is empty. Give us children or we die. Desperate praying. You see how the desperation arises out of this little story? Desperation because of an inescapable responsibility. My friend has come to me. Now, I've read somewhere that, that if a person came to your house in that time, even if he was a total stranger, you by law were required to minister to his need. But, uh, that's strong enough. This man's friend came to him. It was an inescapable responsibility. Now, I have a feeling that most of us think, well, the church is responsible to raise my children in the Christian walk and the Christian way. The church is responsible. Listen, they have come to you. Are you lifting those children up every day and praying that God will cover them with His blood? It's no accident that your company has transferred you to Durant, Oklahoma. It's no accident that that person has moved in next door to you who has all of those problems. They have come to you. God has sent them there. It's no accident that you sit beside an international or a stranger who's lonely in college. God has placed them in your midst in an inescapable responsibility. You better pray. That intercession was desperate because of the inadequate resources did you see the verse it said and I had nothing to give them I went to the cupboard and I opened it up and it was bare he wanted a loaf he was hungry and I opened the cupboard and it was bare I had nothing to set before him um, just a while ago a couple came into my study and they wanted me to help them and they talked about some problems they were having in communicating with each other and loving each other and they talked about 
their anger and their estrangement and the problem that this was going to cause for the children. And they said to me, Pastor, please help us. And when they left my office, I cried. I felt so inadequate, so helpless. Their problems were bigger than I could handle. I prayed, oh God, I have nothing to set before them. I turned them over to you. The desperation of this prayer was because of the inevitable reward. Now, did he get three loaves? It doesn't say. It does say that he gave him as much as what? As he needed. Oh, I like that. I mean, you know, God could give us five and it probably wouldn't be enough. You know, we'd want more. But haven't you found God to be faithful to meet every need? Haven't you? One has. Haven't you found God to be faithful to meet every need? He does, doesn't He? He gives us as much as we need. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and everything you need will be added. I don't know how many times I've used this illustration, but it works. If you went down today to a special friend who had a lot of money and he said, Gerald, come by today, I want to talk to you. And you went down to see him and he said, I want to support you in your ministry and your work. I want, to, I, want to, I want to take care of every need you have. I want to pay for your debts. I want to take care of all your debts. I'd probably, you know, faint. <laughs> um, I, want to, I want to pay your debts and I want, to, I, want to, I want to promise you that as you serve the Lord, I want to take care of every need you have. I'll make you car payment. I'll make your house payment. I'll take, you, I'll take care of your children, your daughter in college. I'll keep you in clothes. I'll keep you in food. And I'll give you money for, that thing, for those things you desire. All you need to do is just keep on preaching and I'll take care of you. You know what? That'd make me the happiest guy in the world. You know, I, I'd believe him. I'd shake his hand. I'd probably kiss him, you know. I'd embrace him and I'd go out of there and I'd know here's a man who made a promise and he'll keep it. And I'll just go on serving God and not worry. God's made you the same promise. Why don't you believe him? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and I'll take care of it. Now, I want you to ask God right now in your heart of hearts. Would you bow your head?
close your eyes. Would you ask God right now to tell you what He wants you to do with your life today? Would you ask Him, Lord, is there anything I need to do this morning to please you? Is there anything I need to do because you love me? Would you ask Him? Would you ask Him, Lord, what's your will for my life right now? And maybe God would have you commit yourself in full-time Christian vocational service. He'll take care of you. Maybe He'd have you place your life here in this church to serve God with us. Maybe He'd want you to become an intercessor in the intercessory prayer room and in your home or to become an effective Christian witness. Now would you ask Him, Lord, will you supply my need? Will you take care of me? In a moment, we're going to have an invitation hymn for those who want to respond publicly. We invite you to come this morning to place your life here in our church or to rededicate yourself to Christ, to prayer, to ministry, to evangelism, to teaching. Most of all, we want to invite you to come and accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. God gave His Son to die for your sin. And in His death at Calvary, He paid the price for you. Would you come to receive the gift of salvation and eternal life through faith in Jesus? Just come saying, I want to trust Jesus and Jesus only for my salvation. Join me in prayer. After we've prayed, our choir will sing. We invite you to come. Father, we ask and keep on asking. We seek, keep on seeking. We knock today. We keep on knocking. But our knocking and our seeking and our asking is not like the eternal, infinite knocking of the Lord at our heart, of His eternal seeking, of His forever asking. And we hear Him this morning as He calls us, give us faith and courage to say yes, to respond, to obey. And I pray, Lord, that in response to your great love for us, there'd be many today who would come in obedience to Christ. Because I pray in his precious name and for his sake. Now in a spirit of prayer, I'll ask you to stand. Our choir will sing. We'll ask you to come.